Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Hi, everyone. I'm your guest host today, Elise Hallett, and I am joined today with Rebecca Butler from MedStar Health. Hi, Rebecca. Hello. How's it going? Good. It's nice to be here today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're really happy to have you on the show. So for folks listening in, uh, you might, you know, recognize my voice from past uh, conferences that I've covered uh, for the Human Factors cast. Um, I'm here instead of Nick today, um, actually interviewing Rebecca, who I saw um, one of your panels at the past Human Factors um, Healthcare Symposium uh, that took place virtually this year. So that was a really awesome experience. But through that, just, you know, got to learn a little bit about uh, the stuff that Rebecca does and, you know, thought that having you on the show and and talking a little bit about what you do as a human factor specialist in the healthcare field um, would be, you know, an awesome opportunity for, you know, our listeners to, you know, learn a little bit more about that. Great. Yeah. Happy to talk about it. It's uh, fun, (laughs) fun work. So it's always fun to share with others. Well, in exciting times, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Especially this past year has been <laughs> unlike any other. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but before we get into all that, I wanted to start um, a little bit before your current position at MedStar Health. Um, so how did you get involved in Human Factors initially? And what was your background that ultimately led you to the position that you're at now at MedStar Health? Yeah, so I, I mean, undergrad, I, I studied industrial and systems engineering at Virginia Tech, go Hokies. Um, and one of our classes was the Intro to Human Factors class. Um, that was hands down my favorite class um, of all four years. And um, so when I first graduated, I worked in a different field uh, for a few years and just kept coming back to the fact that I, that's the class that really made me happy and that I really liked um, doing that work. And so just looking for a new career path, um, Google led me to um, a MedStar's National Center for Human Factors in Healthcare. And I was able to start there as a, a usability assistant on their usability services team. So um, I really got to do hands-on human factors work for the first time um, with working with manufacturers of medical devices, doing the pre-market uh, formative and validation usability testing. And in my role there, uh, I was able to, uh, because we're built in, we're part of a hospital system at the Human Factors Center, uh, I was able to work with on patient safety event reviews, particularly um, safety events that involved medical devices. Um, so because of uh, the specializing in usability of the devices, we'd get involved in those events, event reviews. And I found that I really liked patient safety. I really liked uh, working on the hospital side, um, internal to our system. And um, was while I was at the Human Factors Center, I was able to get my master's in human factors. And then a little over a year ago, a full-time position on the quality and safety team at MedStar Health opened up. And um, they have a, a real desire to really integrate human factors throughout our healthcare system. And so I um, was given the opportunity to join the team. And that's where I am now. That's awesome. And what a cool perspective that your background in, you know, industrial engineering must bring to, you know, the field as well. Yeah, it's interesting to have that my undergrads in engineering and my master's is in psychology. So it's interesting to have the two sides of human factors um, collide. So I I love it. 
That's awesome. Well, it's definitely a multidisciplinary field for sure. Yeah. Um, and so then the, you know, so you mentioned that you work at MedStar Health now um, under the quality and safety team. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's correct. So can you explain a little bit about what this team is, the kind of stuff that you do, and really how you as a human factor specialist fit into all of it? Yeah. Um, so the quality and safety team um, oversees quality and safety for the whole MedStar Health system, but our, our each hospital and our ambulatory service lines, they have their own local quality and safety teams. And so we see our role um, at the system level as really a service organization to to those to the hospitals to the those teams um, and we help coordinate improvement efforts that cross multiple hospitals cross the whole system and so uh, kind of coordinating the the work that all those um, smaller teams are are doing and then I sit um, in particular on the safety team and um, I help do systems based event reviews so if there's patient safety event um, going out and looking at it from a systems perspective, um, teaching people how to do that, um, teaching people at the local level how to do that, and then uh, bringing a human factors lens to the, uh, the solution development piece of it. So helping uh, create solutions that are more than just uh, retraining people or creating new policies, but that, that actually address those gaps that we have in the system to prevent the safety events from happening in the future. And then um, I'm in a growing role uh, for working more with our proactive approach to patient safety as well. So identifying um, our hazards and risks before they uh, before they reach patients and before they cause any harm. Identifying those near misses and coming up with solutions and ways we can um, we can proactively fix those uh, and remove them from the system. So. That sounds so interesting, and it sounds like you're really integrated into, you know, this larger system as a whole, as opposed to being, you know, some afterthought check in the box later on. Yeah, it's, um, it's a, it's a very, I, I realize I'm very fortunate um, it, to be in, in MedStar Health the way that um, we've that championed by Terry Fairbanks, certainly like um, just the integration of human factors throughout the system. Um, it's, it's nice to be in a place where it's not, um, I, I don't usually, it's not like people have never heard of human factors. Uh, we certainly some teaching when you, when we come into a, a new place with a new team that maybe hasn't worked with us before, but um, definitely a, a unique and great place to be uh, as a human factor specialist. That's yeah, it's, it sounds really awesome. Um, and you've mentioned a couple times this um, concept of uh, safety events. Could you elaborate for the audience of, you know, what this means and, you know, maybe an example? Sure. So, um, I mean, a safety event would, when I, when I say that, what I mean is um, anytime there's, uh, what we actually, what we look into is anytime there's an unanticipated outcome. Um, so something for, that happens, something happens to a patient that we didn't anticipate. So outside of a normal complications of just whatever their condition might be. Um, and the, what we, we review those to figure out were, were there deviations from what we would say the expected standard of care is? Were there deviations in um, in the whatever the work whatever we were doing to treat that patient? Um, did, was there something that we could have prevented? Was the harm that occurred to that patient something we could have prevented? And so by reviewing the event, um, we're looking at the uh, the environment the uh, the electronic health record, was there anything, there were there usability issues that 
cause somebody to prescribe the wrong medication to a patient or um, deliver a medication the wrong route uh, or misdiagnoses, all those types of things. Was there Were there things in the system that um, made it hard to do the right thing? And how can we fix the system to make it easy to do the right thing uh, to prevent those patient safety events where, where there's unanticipated harm? Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. And really taking that system's perspective and applying it to the analysis of these particular events. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So before COVID-19 broke out as a global pandemic, and I'm sure changed a lot of what you do in you know the healthcare field specifically, what did your day-to-day -day look like as a human factors specialist? What types of projects or work were you involved in? So, so I had just recently joined the quality and safety team full time, only about a month or two before the pandemic hit. Oh wow! So I was still still sort of getting uh, getting into what my normal day to day would look like, and a little bit of transition out of my role on the usability services team. So I was wrapping up some of those uh, final validation studies, so those final usability studies uh, before a product gets approved by the FDA. Um, for our, our manufacturers and then moving into my role with uh, the safety team where my day-to-day -day was um, reviewing uh, event reviews. So uh, obviously with a large system, we have 10 hospitals, we have um, 200 ambulatory sites. And um, like I said, we have those local teams that are doing event reviews. And one of my, um, a lot of my day-to-day -day would be uh, assisting with those event reviews where um, necessary, particularly ones that might require a human factors lens, and then um, also reviewing event reviews and actions that other teams have created and, and come up with, and then giving input um, and, and making sure that if there's an action or a problem that's been identified at one hospital, uh, figuring out is that something that we need to make sure all the other hospitals also know about and, and figuring out the best way to communicate that across the larger system. So that's, that's uh, what my day-to-day -day was pre-pandemic. And when you, so you mentioned, you know, providing that human factors lens, what were some of the other types of specialties that you were working with? Um, other specialties, like on the event reviews. Mm -hmm. So, so I don't have a clinical background. And so the, uh, I, I always you know, want to make sure that there are uh, those clinical perspectives in any of these event reviews. Cause I, I can't speak to, um, I can't really speak to standard of care or how things should or shouldn't be done or how they're typically done um, from that clinical perspective. So um, there's the, the uh, there's always working with you know nursing or um, whatever specialty it was that that event review um, event review took place in. I'm working with the um, information services people that set up the EHR, figuring out. Um, what what we can and can't do within our our electronic health record, um, the the product we use. Uh, so definitely interdisciplinary there, working with all those teams to review an event, because um, one perspective can never really paint the whole picture. Absolutely, Absolutely. that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then, you know, COVID nineteen breaks out. You know, you're there for you said about a month. How how did that change your position? The kind of things you were working on, what you were doing. Yeah. So uh, pretty much our whole team shifted to uh, being co my whole team, I say quality and safety um, shifted to be really all hands on deck in the, the pandemic response. Um, the 
um, our leaders sort of oversaw the, the systems re response to, to COVID-19. And so um, our day-to-day -day, um, really shifted to helping people figure out like, okay, what, what's the, what's confusing? What can we help with? Um, at the beginning, it was very much uh, not a specific ask, but we could see that there were, uh, there was confusion going on. And so us more asking like, where can we help? Um, we, uh, the, the infection prevention uh, is managed at the system level within the quality and safety team as well at MedStar. And so seeing our colleagues just get inundated with questions and uh, confusion that was going on across the system. Uh, it, it, people just not knowing with what PPE, who am I supposed to test? Uh, how do we manage our patients coming in? How do we screen them? Um, and so we could see that that they were getting all these questions and all of this is a lot of work for for those uh, that that team to, to take on. And so uh, we sort of just stepped in and heard what concerns they were hearing, what challenges people were having, and um, tried to figure out, was there any way that we could help from the human factors perspective? Um, and that's how we, that's how we got to the, the um, graphics creation that I talked about in um, my talk at HFES. That's where the majority of my time was spent, was um, in developing the graphics and documents and workflows um, for um, Frontline to use to understand the new policies and procedures. Yeah, and that's a perfect segue into um, diving into some of those things. So, so you mentioned, um, you know, the team just getting inundated with all these questions. And um, one of the challenges that your talk focused on specifically was this this um, element of communication. Specifically, how do you provide this information to people in a way that is both usable? and still um, supports the like rapidly changing information um, mm -hmm. to ensure that they're like trusting that information. They know that it's the latest and greatest, but we're not overwhelming people. Um, and so you mentioned a couple, you know, um, example products of, you know, how you got involved. Can you elaborate a little bit more on um, what some of those you know, were and um, some of the strategies you took to, um, you know, help ensure that, you know, people are getting that, that rapidly changing information, but in mm -hmm. a, a more usable way. Yeah, sure. So um, the, uh, the, the PPE graphic is one that, um, one that I shared in the talk and that at the beginning, you know, that was one of the biggest things that was a change and new and we had um, PPE that you just had to wear in different different situations needed different PPE. And um, I had shared on the talk that we initially, this was all written down and in a, a large text document um, that, that had all the information people needed, but um, we, we knew that they needed a way to actually be able to look at this and digest it. And so um, the, the, the graphics seemed like a way that, that would could communicate to uh, it could communicate multiple situations so we had there's rows for uh, all the different situations that people might have and then um, including not just text but pictures um, and we were able to uh, sort of roll that out fairly quickly in the first week or two um, and then certainly iterate on it as things changed and as we got feedback of things that were still confusing um, so that, that's one of those examples of, of how we just where we saw that there was a need and we knew that the visual portrayal of 
that information and organizing it in a, a chart format it was just easier to digest for people. And I loved one of the examples that you had in there of um, you didn't just include, you know, a, a you know basic picture of say a, a hospital gown, but really like using the different types of hospital gowns across the hospitals, knowing that mm -hmm. you did support a, a network of hospitals, not just one, and making sure that you were representing things um, very much in line with how people were used to seeing that in the real mm -hmm. world. Yeah, and that was one of those things that we we honestly didn't think about at first. It was through through user feedback that we were able to make that change because um, we were just thinking the the gown. We just need a picture of a gown, and there was a lot of fear around the the wanting to make sure you're wearing the right PPE um, at the beginning. And so uh, people, when we had a picture of a blue gown and people were receiving yellow gowns when they got to work, they there were just a lot of questions about, but this isn't, is this the right thing? Is this what I'm supposed to be wearing? Is this safe? Am I actually going to be protected? And so in order to build that trust in the documents that we were sharing, we had to make sure that we were including what people were actually seeing and actually receiving so that they knew that Yes, these are equivalent. Yes, they're the same. They're both um, equally safe and both equally correct for you to be able to wear in these situations. And I love that you touch on incorporating the user feedback. Um, how how did you get user feedback? Because you know your setting is a little different than someone like you know by backgrounds in consulting, where I'm setting up you know the whole usability test and bringing in mm -hmm. people. What's that look like for you? So I will say, uh, you know, particularly with my background coming from the, the usability services team where that is what we did, where we had you know, the full, like a week long of user testing and we're setting up scenarios and asking people pointed questions and being able to really iterate. Um, it wasn't like that for the pandemic, for sure. And so um, we didn't we didn't get to do that. We didn't get to do um, direct uh user feedback and and change those things before we rolled things out and so one of the um one of the the teams that we really relied on and and used um used a lot was our group of infection preventionists um, at the hospitals so um all of our 10 hospitals have an infection preventionist and um that their leaders at the system level had a daily call and so we knew that they were gonna be on a call an hour every single day at the beginning of the pandemic. And so we went to that meeting a lot and would share our graphics, um, share changes we were making to things, uh, new documents that we were putting together and got feedback from them. Um, and, and we were also able to hear what they were hearing uh, because they were, you know, they were there, they were at the front line, they were with their their staff in the hospital, and they were hearing points of confusion, and were able to bring those back to us. So, not as uh, direct user feedback as you may typically want or design a usability study um, to to have, but um, a group that was certainly invaluable to providing us that that iterative feedback and um, a great resource. Uh, that that the, the documents would not have been the way they were without the feedback from that group. That's awesome. Yeah. I kind of equate to, you know, your work is like human factors in the wild, you know, you're yeah. right in the thick of it. And, you know, we go to school and learn the proper methods and then we go out into the wild and, you know, have to, mm -hmm. to make accommodations. But it sounds like the accommodations that you made were, you know, right exactly where you needed to be given all the like rapidly changing information and mm -hmm. um, just, you know, getting people something that's usable as incorporating some of those challenges. 
Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, <laughs> if you're designing something and doing usability testing before you actually roll it out for the first time, you're ideally finding those points of confusion before anybody is trying to use it in the wild. Uh, but when we, during the, the past year, you know, things changing so quickly, it was more like, okay, we're, we think this is this is good enough. It's accurate. That was really the most important thing was to make sure that the information we were sending out was accurate. And then if it still had some usability issues, we knew we could get to that later. But we'd roll it out. People would try to use it in the real world. Then we'd hear feedback. Then we'd change and send out a new iteration. And they'd do it again. And it was more it was cyclical like that. But um, but we had to actually roll it out. So people were using it, um, using it in real life. And that's how we would get our feedback, which, um, you know, in an ideal world, you would figure those things out before you sent it out, send people to use it um, in the real world. But Right, but the, the real world can be messy. And yeah. I love how you broke down that you know the the different levels like what are you going to prioritize for this iteration like okay we'll get we'll get to some of the usability things later is it accurate first and i think mm -hmm. that's a really good perspective to take when you're trying to figure out how to get this information to people quickly but you know also in a, a useful manner as well that's great mm -hmm. um one of the critical lessons learned that you and your co-presenter had shared um, was the importance of interdisciplinary collaboration. And you've kind of been touching on this um, a little bit through our discussion today, but can you elaborate on what that means and mm -hmm. ultimately how you achieved it through um, your work supporting um, you yeah. know, the, the pandemic? Mm -hmm. so, sure. So um, by interdisciplinary collaboration, what I mean is that um, you know, what I've what I've said is that I we couldn't have created those documents um, on our own. Like I, I don't have a background in infection prevention. I don't have that clinical specialty, and and that was that was obviously imperative to the documents that we were creating. So as far as document creation, we had to um, we had to incorporate all the the people that actually had that subject matter expert expertise. And then as far as rolling the information out to, to everybody, um, we that really required close collaboration with the communications team, which um, is, is not, a, not a place where human factors has really had to overlap. Um, we haven't seen a huge need for that in the past. So that was a new, a new um, partnership that we were able to build there. Um, but early on, uh, it, with the document creation, it wasn't always clear who, who owned what documents um, and local teams were creating resources for their, their teams. Um, then different specialty lines were creating new processes for their groups. And then uh, we, but we really needed to have a cohesive voice um, that across our system. And so what we realized we needed to do was establish a, a point of contact, uh, who, who is the, who owns the nursing documents, who owns the PPE documents, who owns the uh, clinical, new, new clinical protocols. Um, and once we had those clearly defined, um, the, it became a lot easier. So I know my, my colleague, Lucy Stein, uh, she really is the one that uh, she took on that, the, creating the website that we had and um, that we shared a little bit about in our talk and maintaining it on a day-to-day -day basis as things changed. And at the beginning, she could get five or six different people emailing her saying, hey, here's new documents to, to go onto the website. And after we were after we changed and pivoted to 
having this person uh, can say these are good, this person says these are good. It was much more streamlined and the document quality uh, went up. They were more consistent that way, um, having more streamlined uh, review processes, creation processes, and then um, having one person being able to post them and then know that we're working with communications to be able to send them out at the same time that they're posted on the website so that people are um, able to access the correct information in the multiple places that we have it posted. How many human factors people do you are on your team? So, uh, well, I, we, I'm definitely not an N of one at, at MedStar, so that's really helpful. Um, on the, the work that we shared um, in our talk, I would say that there are uh, Lucy and I are, you know, the trained in human factors, but I would say our, our whole team really has human factors expertise just based on all of the work that we've done. And then the human factors center that MedStar has, um, has, you know, 50 or 60 employees that are all specializing in human factors. Um, and, and Lucy actually plays a an interesting role where she gets 50% um, with, with the human factor center and 50% of her time with quality and safety. So we have that nice bridge from all of the great expertise we have at our human factors center um, that that gets to cross over into the uh, quality and safety team gotcha yeah the reason why i ask is because it sounds like you were involved in in so many you know kind of facets of this communication strategy and i can imagine you know just you know human factors alone cannot solve this but really relying on that the expertise and the input from so many different perspectives sounds like it was really one of the the big things that you know made this such a great success story. Yeah, I would agree. Just the the collaboration um, and people knowing that knowing each other's expertise, I think, is is uh, knowing and and then deferring to each other's expertise is really beneficial and and imperative in getting making this work successful. I think um, because. At knowing knowing what you what knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know is really important. So you can go to somebody who um, who is uh, special specializes in that area, and you can make sure that you have their input in whatever it is you're working on. Absolutely. So now that COVID nineteen is starting, I I wouldn't say it's over. We're not you know quite out of it yet, but maybe more manageable, <laughs> where would you say your focus is now? So me personally, I've been able to shift most of my work back to that, that pre-pandemic focus. So uh, really being able to get more involved in um, patient safety event reviews, working on our proactive approach, um, proactive solutions to safety hazards that we have. Uh, and. I consult occasionally on at new graphics that we create, but we really don't have that um, that pressing need for constantly creating new material. And what we've been able to do is um, get those initial graphics that we created to a point where the subject matter expert is able to update those um, as needed. So the PPE graphics, our, our infection preventionists can, can tweak on their own without um, they don't need to cut, they don't have to come to us every time because it, it's at a point where they're able to manage those now. Um, but for our team as a whole, I'd say quality and safety, um, uh, my co-presenter Ann Catherine is just really leading this, making sure that we incorporate the, the lasting impacts of what we've learned and what we've started um, from 
COVID into our routine work moving forward. So things like um, there's a new quality metric that includes COVID numbers, and uh, we have we built this. I, I I was not in this, so I won't say we, but my team, you know, built up a contact tracing program, um, and that's really now an integrated part of our infection prevention um, program. And then the human factors team, so um, Lucy and the the human factors center, they have been um, really heavily involved in the vaccine rollout. Um, so some of the communications pieces that, that she worked on in the beginning of a pandemic has been able to take over to that vaccine rollout piece. And they've developed communication tools for frontline associates to be able to communicate information to patients, um, coming up with creative ways to reach more of the vulnerable populations where emails and texts about the vaccine just don't reach those, those patients. Um, and then they've also been consulted on workflow and signage and logistics for a large-scale vaccine um, site that, that uh, MedStar is uh, running in partnership with some other healthcare systems in the area. So uh, the, the work that we did at the beginning, um, I think, has set, set us up to, to see the, the value of including human factors expertise in, in all this work. And that's really, um, I mean, all the stuff that the, the Human Factors Center is doing with the vaccine rollout um, really shows that it, people value that at MedStar, which is um, which is great for us. Uh, we we want to uh, want to be able to uh, bring our, our human factors uh, knowledge to to all these um, all the where all the areas that we can we can help in. Um, but yeah, so for the most part, I'm I'm back to my pre-pandemic role. But um, the in, pandemic, like you said, is not over. So there's there's other initiatives still ongoing. That's fantastic. Um, and, and I love what you said, you know, the, the work that you did early on really sets the, the precedence moving forward and um, really getting human factors, you know, continually showing our value and in integrating in the process is, um, has been such a great, I think, success story because of all the implications that the pandemic has for, you know, mm -hmm. interesting human factors problems, you know, everything yeah. we study about. So. Um, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and thank chatting with everyone. <laughs> um, where can our listeners find you if they you know, want more information? Um, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can look at my name. I know I'll uh, share the link with you all so you can um, go there directly, but happy to connect with anybody who's interested. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, we always end the podcast with the classic, it depends because you know human factors. It depends. So uh, if you wouldn't mind me joining as we conclude, um, I'll count off to three and then we can say it depends. So okay. one, two, three. It depends. It depends. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in human factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce but we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving. 
So stop by patreon.com slash human factors cast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you. And remember, it depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.